Yes, all aboard. It's the A-Train Sports Talk Podcast. And the train is building up ahead of steam. So grab your ticket. It's free. Get on board. This train will be picking up passengers along the way. Taking you on a sports journey. So, enjoy the ride. It's the A-Train Sports Talk Podcast. Your conductor, Anthony Smith. Anthony Smith here with A-Train Sports Talk Podcast, your conductor. Just want to let you know that this podcast is listener supported. That's right, driven by you, the listener, who wants to support. So click on that support button down there. You have three options, 99 cents a month, $4.99 a month, or $9.99 a month. We'll get your ad rent on this podcast. So click the support button. Your support will be greatly appreciated. Once again, Anthony Smith with the A-Train Sports Talk Podcast. Want to enhance your workout? Try the workout bands everyone is talking about. Three different resistance levels. Light, medium, and heavy. Only at www.kakeybums.com That's www.kakeybums.com www.kakeybums.com To enhance your workout, with the resistance bands that everyone is talking about. Hey, what's happening? It's Rick Thomas with Running the Table, and you already know you are on board the A-Train. Hang on for the ride. Welcome to another edition of the A-Train Sports Talk Podcast, and here we have a loaded show. And when I say a loaded show, there will be some points of interest. Uh, I'm going to talk about LeBron James, LeBron James and his Twitter and the firestorm it caused. Also... Today's episode, we're going to be looking at 15 of the strangest college football seasons. As if you, as if 2020 couldn't be any stranger or unusual, there are some more. Are you aware of the fact that we actually played through a pandemic before? Most likely before a lot of us were even born, but it has happened. But there are some other twists and turns that made the seasons wacky, strange, unusual, however you want to call it. But I want to get into this LeBron James issue. This story here is courtesy of Yahoo News, the Los Angeles Times. LeBron James tweeted poorly and others saw an out from addressing the real issues. And mind you, there will be some content in this article that will probably be a head scratcher that will make you think, wow, really? So just roll with it. This may even come across as controversial, even if I add my own two cents to it. The one thing about it is, the podcast is it doesn't link me to anybody's radio station so therefore I do not have to give the disclaimer that the views discussed here are not those necessarily those of a particular radio station the season finale of Marvel's The Falcon and the Winter Soldier was released Friday but I'm still processing a statement made in the previous episode. They will never let 
a black man be Captain America. I wonder if LeBron James has seen it yet. Last week, the kid from Akron found himself in the crosshairs of another stick to sports maelstrom for posting, then deleting a tweet about the police shooting of a 16 year old black girl in Ohio. From sports debate show hosts to members of Congress, someone from every walk of life seemingly was asking why why did he post it why did he delete it fox news did a story about how the other networks weren't making a big enough deal about it opportunistic politicians representing the proverbial they that won't let a black man be captain america piled on lebron james truly has a lot of nerve targeting a police officer for doing his job Republican Lauren Boebert Colorado wrote on Twitter I'm not sure what China has on him but his constant push for division in this country is obscene Senator Ted Cruz Republican from Texas said James's tweet could certainly be interpreted by some even as a call for violence a remark echoed on social media by Senator Tom Cotton, Republican Arkansas, who posted, this is disgraceful and dangerous. Is the NBA okay with this? Is Twitter. And so we found ourselves in the familiar space of debating more about how LeBron James says something than why he said it. James's backstory, a literal rags to riches story, should make him the paragon of American exceptionalism embodied by Captain America. But his politics, specifically his tendency to speak out on issues that are important to the black community, makes him more of a villain than a source of inspiration for conservatives prone to be more upset about tan suits than such hard questions as the atrophied relationship between law enforcement and communities of color. The controversial deleted tweet in which James posted a picture of the white officer who shot and killed 16-year-old Micaiah Bryant, along with the words, you're next, hashtag accountability, was inarguably premature. Body cam video appears to show Bryant attacking another team with a knife seconds before the shots were fired. Many considered the officer's actions justified. Others are skeptical because of years of simmering tension that resulted in Columbus' current search for a new police chief because, according to the city's mayor, the previous one could not successfully implement the reform and change I expect and that the community demands. Those details are germane to the larger issue of this country's discomfort with black leadership. And nowhere is that discomfort more evident than in the world of sports. Which brings me back to that line from The Falcon and the Winter Soldier. It's easy to assume they will never let a black man be Captain America was written to reflect a post-George Floyd world. The dangers of work culture. The reality is that subject was approached more than three decades ago. Captain America, Volume 1. Issue number 333. It hit stores in 1987. Like the current streaming series, the question of who will be Captain America's, Captain America's successor is an essential element of the storyline in the comic book. In issue 333, a committee of military and government officials is debating who should represent American exceptionalism when a Mr. Mathers holds up a headshot. I imagine we could also rule out another of Rogers' friends and ex-partners, Sam Wilson, alias the Falcon, he starts. I doubt the country is ready for a black Captain America. The issue hit shelves a few months after longtime Dodgers executive and infamously said when asked about the lack of blacks in leadership positions in baseball. 
No, I don't believe it's prejudice. I truly believe that they may not have some of the necessities to be, let's say, a field manager or perhaps a general manager. <clears throat> the interview ignited a firestorm and Capanas was fired less than 48 hours later. But here's the rub. When Ken Williams was hired 13 years later as GM, the third black GM in MLB history, he said no N-word should run the Chicago white in all cap letter socks was painted on the side of his house. More than 20 years later, Derek Jeter is baseball's only black CEO. So did Capanas get canned for the substance of his remarks or for the act of giving voice to them? It's not just baseball. In the Institute of Diversity and Ethics in Sport 2020 report, of the 130 athletic director positions at FBS, white men accounted for nearly 77%. Nearly 7% of conference commissioners were white men. Roughly 84% of football head coaches were white men, who also make up about 59% of assistant coaches as well. Meanwhile, the number of football student athletes who were white was less than 35%. The NFL Rooney rule was enacted in 2003 to compel owners to interview candidates of color for head coaching jobs. How's that working? The league just hired its first black team president ever last year. And I'm not sure if the Washington football team would have selected Jason Wright had Floyd's murder not sparked a national racial reckoning. And this was written confidentially because until Floyd's death, the team was still comfortable using a racial slur as its nickname. It's my sense many white conservatives prefer black athletes like James who just play because they don't want to be reminded of their blackness. They won't feel good stories about making it out of the ghetto without talk of why there is a ghetto in the first place. They don't want discussions about racial inequality blended in with sports because they don't want discussions about racial inequality anywhere. They pretend I don't see color. It's a declaration of inclusion when, in fact, it's a denial of the trauma people of color experience regularly. Instead, they lurk in the bushes, waiting to pounce on missteps as a way to stifle larger cultural debates because that's easier than genuine problem solving. James's tweet was a mistake. He was linking the circumstances behind one death with that of another without the facts. So he deleted it and instead posted about the pain that comes from seeing black and brown bodies being gunned down by police. But individuals like Tom Cotton, who is constantly criticizing James about China, are interested in James's pain or understanding how the confluence of the Derek Chauvin verdict and a police shooting of a black girl in the city that has had four similar shootings in the past four months might inspire a rush to judgment. They're not intended, they're not interested in his blackness or the brand of leadership it inspires. He's not the Captain America they want. The one featured in the first issue, punching out, out Adolf Hitler as an American to the rescue metaphor. No, LeBron James is allowed to rescue the Lakers. But anything beyond that is deemed a problem by those not interested in solving the ones he's talking about. What an interesting story. And you have to always give credit to where credit is due. That was a story. The contributor for that story was LZ Granderson. So what are your thoughts on that? Some very deep comments were made in that article. And when you let that marinate and simmer, and think about what was said and who said what. A 
lot of it is still true. I'm going to say this, and I'm going to go to my break. It is 2021, and there is still a cry for equality in a world that's so full of inequality. My question is, if you're not going to hear the cries of those in the inner city that is crying out for help, whose voice will you hear? Whose voice will you respond to? At best, some of these athletes. If I can reference former WWE wrestler CM Punk when he came out and he cut his mic when he said he was the voice for the voiceless. At best, some of these athletes are trying to be the voice for the voiceless. But you keep saying and especially as LeBron James. And look, I'm I'm not here to defend LeBron James. I'm not here to bash LeBron James. LeBron James has said some things that if I had to, and somebody's feathers is going to be ruffled when I even mention him in the same breath with the late Rush Limbaugh. But those of you who grew up listening to Rush Limbaugh, y'all know good and well, Rush Limbaugh did not say everything that you like to hear. Rush Limbaugh said some things that were controversial. So, at best, LeBron James comes off as the black Rush Limbaugh from the NBA. Plain and simple. But I pose this question once again. If you're not going to hear the cries coming from the inner city, whose voice will you hear? The time for talk is over. It is now time for action. A-Train Sports Talk Podcast. This is yours truly, Anthony Smith. Stay tuned. I'll be back after a word from my sponsor. Hey, what's happening? It's Rick Thomas with Running the Table, and you already know you are on board the A-Train. Hang on for the ride. Welcome back and talk about some interesting stories. Ran across one today. And as I said in the onset, this past football season was a very strange season by all means. One that we've never seen before and most likely might not see again of this magnitude, especially the pandemic. Games being done on the fly, season start, basically staggered start to season. So this segment, we're going to look at the 15 strangest college football seasons. There is no secret that the 2020 season has been one of the strangest wildest and controversial years in the history of the sport. The global pandemic has brought unique challenges as well as interesting opportunities that we may never see again in our lifetime. Put a pen right there. Never say never. But this isn't the only season that has been a bit crazy. Sure, it will take a lot lot to topple this season from being the oddest on record, but There have been plenty of seasons that just don't go as expected, that just didn't go as expected. There are a variety of reasons for these crazy seasons, but all have left a mark on the sport for better or worse. So here are 15 of the strangest college football seasons ever. Nineteen eighteen. Influenza pandemic and the world at war. Influenza pandemic and the world at war. 
a lot that has happened in 2020 has been compared to 1918, including the college football season. The influenza pandemic forced cancellations of many games, and that was on top of World War I, taking a lot of college-aged kids to the battlefield. Military organizations fielded teams made up of former college players to play against collegiate games, to play against collegiate games. For example, former Illinois player and future Chicago Bears legend George Hallis played for the Great Lakes Naval Training Station. The combination of those two events nearly put a stop to the sport in October. The season's first month in those days, with the easing of war restrictions and quarantines ending, college football kicking into high gear in November. Students were back in school, and programs filled schedules on the fly. Michigan and Pittsburgh would end up splitting the national championship. Some big names of note in 1918. Georgia Tech's John Heisman, Pittsburgh's Pop Warner, and Notre Dame's backfield of Curly Lambeau and George Kipp. This was also Newt Rockney's first season as head coach. Second one. 1936, Slippery Rock National Champion. Slippery Rock National Champion. The 1936 season was the first that the Associated Press would select a national champion. It was Minnesota. But there were some other less-known media that would make this a crazy season. A story arose that used the transistive property of Winnie to declare Tiny Slippery Rock the national champ. It follows like this. Slippery Rock beat Westminster, who beat West Virginia Wesleyan, who beat Duquesne, who beat Pitt, who beat Notre Dame, who beat Northwestern, who beat AP champion Minnesota. Slippery Rock, who finished 6-3 and and competed in the Pennsylvania State Teachers Conference and their satirical championship was picked up by National Wire Services, 1936 version of Going Viral, and became a running joke in college football for years. Even today, Slippery Rock's scores will be announced by public address announcers and find their way into the papers and websites. Number three. Nineteen forty-three, World War II. With the nation in the thick of World War II, much of college football was shut down. Eight SEC schools, including Alabama, Florida, and Auburn, didn't have a team that season. The Pacific Coast Conference saw many of its members sit out. The schools that did play staggered the starts to their season and created vast differences in the amount of games played, similar to what happened in 2020. There were travel restrictions due to rationing and various sacrifices made to accommodate the war effort that affected the college football season. The Associated Press did include service schools in their polls for the first time as the War Department promoted teams made up from players on their training bases and flight schools. In 1943, the most successful ones were Iowa Pre-Flight, March Field, Bainbridge, and Great Lakes Navy. In fact, Great Lakes Navy would beat number one Notre Dame in the season finale, though the Irish would still be voted number one in the final polls. Ah, Notre Dame. The Irish beat the number two ranked team twice, Michigan Iowa pre-flight, and the number three ranked team twice, Army, Navy, to complete one of the toughest schedules in college football history. Number four, Missouri's loss that didn't happen. Iowa opened the season beating five ranked opponents in six weeks and ascended to the number one ranking. They would lose to number three, Minnesota, 
then blowing out number three Ohio State and ordained to end the season. I was lost to Missouri's. I was lost with Missouri was Missouri's gain as the Tigers took the number one ranking into their final regular season game with Kansas. The Jayhawks blasted Mizzou 23-7, but the Big 8 ruled Kansas halfback Burt Cone ineligible due to a recruiting violation when Cone was at TCU. Kansas forfeited the game, and Missouri's loss was erased by the Big 8 conference. The NCAA counted the game as a Kansas victory and thus knocked Missouri from the number one ranking. Minnesota, despite losing to Purdue and beating only two ranked teams, would end up winning the AP National Championship by a few votes over Mississippi and Iowa. The Gophers received 17 and a half first place votes to the Rebels 16 and the Hawkeyes 12 and a half. Missouri, despite its loss being reversed and finishing undefeated, finished fifth in the final poll and received zero first place votes. In those days, the final polls happened prior to bowl games, so Minnesota was named champion before losing the Rose Bowl to Washington. Missouri beat Navy in the Orange Bowl. Number five, 1966, the tie. The 1966 season is one of the more controversial years in college football, primarily by how the champion was crowned. Alabama was defending two-time champion and began the season ranked number one. Despite not playing in week one of the season, the Crimson Tide dropped to number four in the following poll. Alabama will go on to an 11-0 record, the only undefeated and untied record in college football, and including spanking number six Nebraska in the Sugar Bowl. Yet the Tide would finish ranked number three. Top two spots would go to Notre Dame and Michigan State, who played a game of the century in East Lansing. There was an outcry that ABC would not televise the game nationally due to NCAA rules. The network would get around this rule by showing the game in every state but two and naming it a regional telecast. With the score 10-10 late in the game, Notre Dame would run out the clock to preserve the tie. After that game, the AP named Notre Dame number one while the coaches' poll had Michigan State in the top spot. The Spartan season was over, but Notre Dame would go on to Los Angeles and bludgeon USC 51-0. Both schools would finish 9-0-1. With Notre Dame refusing to play bowl games and Michigan State ineligible to play in the Rose Bowl due to their trip to previous season, Notre Dame would be voted number one by both polls. Three of the top five teams didn't play in the bowl, and the Heisman Trophy winner, Steve Spurrier, wasn't on national television during the regular season. Number six, the U comes out of nowhere. The University of Miami was just a middling program until Howard Schellenberger came along in 1979 making their 1983 national championship appearing out of nowhere. After going 7-4 the previous season, the Hurricanes entered 83, unranked, and didn't enter the rankings until week five. They shot up the polls and eventually reached number five, entering their Orange Bowl showdown with a dominant number one Nebraska, who averaged 52 points per game. The game was close throughout with the Cornhuskers scoring a touchdown with less than a minute remaining to trail 31-30. Instead of kicking the extra point to tie the game, Nebraska went for two and the win. Miami broke up the pass and toppled the Huskers. With number two Texas and number four Illinois losing their bowl games, Miami leaped over number three Auburn in the rankings and won their first national championship, leading to complaints from the Tigers and the SEC. Auburn featuring Bo Jackson had beaten number four Georgia, number five Florida, number seven Maryland, number eight Michigan, and number 19 Alabama during the season. Miami had only beaten two ranked teams, Notre Dame number 13 and West Virginia number 12 
for their Orange Bowl win. It also wouldn't happen in today's game as Nebraska and Texas dominate the top of the rankings but would play in separate bowl games, as was the norm at the time. Miami wouldn't have even made the current college football playoff format if it existed at that time. Number seven, BYU wins national championship and a Hail Mary. In the current college football playoff era, it seems next to impossible for a team outside the power conferences to win a national championship. In 1984, it was possible as a BYU team that won a whack in which every other team lost at least four games would capture college football's biggest prize. BYU played just one ranked team, number three Pittsburgh, in the opener. However, that team would finish the season a disappointing 3-7-1. None of the other top-ranked teams would bother to play BYU in the Lester Holiday Bowl, so the Cougars faced 6-5 Michigan instead. BYU would win, and as the land's only unbeaten team, would finish number one in both polls. Being number one was unlucky that season. Number one, Auburn lost to Miami in the kickoff classic. A week later, newly minted number one, Miami, would lose to Michigan. Three weeks later, number one, Nebraska, lost to Syracuse. Number one, Texas, tied Oklahoma in the Red River shootout. That's what they used to call it. On a controversial missed call, Washington and Nebraska again had their turns at number one, but would lose as well. BYU, despite its easy schedule, will win its first national championship. Oh, and there was that Doug Flutie Hail Mary, too. What I'm going to do right here is I'm going to take a break. And when I come back, I will conclude this. So stay tuned. It's the A-Train Sports Talk Podcast. Train is still building up steam. Your conductor, Anthony Smith. Want to enhance your workout? Try the workout bands everyone is talking about. Three different resistance levels. Light, medium, and heavy. Only at www.kakeybums.com That's www.c-a-k-e-y-b-u-m-s.com www.kakeybums.com To enhance your workout, with the resistance bands that everyone is talking about. Anthony Smith here with A-Train Sports Talk Podcast, your conductor. Just want to let you know that this podcast is listener supported. That's right, driven by you, the listener, who wants to support. So click on that support button down there. You have three options, 99 cents a month, $4.99 a month or $9.99 a month will get your ad rent on this podcast. So click the support button. Your support will be greatly appreciated. Once again, Anthony Smith with the A-Train Sports Talk Podcast. Hey, what's happening? It's Rick Thomas with Running the Table, and you already know you are on board the A-Train. Hang on for the ride. <laughs> Welcome back as we conclude this 15 Strangest Seasons segment. This is part two of this segment. And this will also be my final segment. And I hope you are enjoying this podcast. Hope you're enjoying this information. It might be some information that some of you a little bit older than me might have forgotten about and be like, hey, okay, now I remember that. And that's what I strive to do. I strive to be different, try to give you something current, but also try to give you something from back in the day to be like, hey, okay, I remember those days. I remember hearing about that. So now we go to number eight. Colorado benefits from two plays. This was a pivotal season for college football that has had repercussions to this day. 
Colorado and Georgia Tech, yes, Yellow Jackets, were split national champions, a controversy that helped create the Bowl Coalition in 1992, a precursor to the Bowl Alliance, BCS, and the college football playoff. Colorado began the season 1-1-1 after losing to Illinois, tying Tennessee. The Buffaloes would eventually benefit from two controversial plays that resonate to this day. The first play was the fifth down against Missouri. Down 31-27, Colorado somehow received a fifth down when the referees lost track of the plays. On the extra down, Colorado quarterback Charles Johnson barely got the ball into the end zone as time expired, giving the Buffs the win. Immediately after the play, the officials realized their mistake and met to discuss what to do. After over 20 minutes of meeting, the ref announced the touchdown stood. Fast forward to the Orange Bowl, where Notre Dame's Raheem Ishmael Returned a 92, returned a punt 92 yards for the go-ahead touchdown, or so it seemed. A flag was thrown for a clipping penalty, which all but ended the Irish's hope. Colorado won the game, 10 to 9. Meanwhile, Georgia Tech ended the years ended the year as the only undefeated team. They did tie North Carolina, and had a win over top-ranked Virginia. On their resume, the Jackets would blow out Nebraska in the Citrus Bowl and end up receiving one more vote in the coaches' poll and giving them a share of the national championship. Number nine, 9-11 and BCS chaos. The terrorist attacks on September 11, 2001 caused the postponement of college football games. Initially, the SEC was set to press on announcing that their games would be go on as scheduled and receive instant backlash for their decision. They would ultimately also postpone that weekend's games. One of those postponements would impact the chaos that ended the season. A stacked Miami team was on the collision course to play Nebraska in the BCS championship game at the Rose Bowl, the first time since 1919 that the Rose Bowl wouldn't feature a Big Ten or Pac-10 team. Nebraska coughed up that showdown with a loss to Colorado in the regular season finale, 62-36. Florida would also ascend to the number two spot, but would lose to Tennessee in their rivalry. That was rescheduled from the 9-11 weekend. Tennessee would end up losing to LSU in the SEC title game, which created a pool of teams, including number two Oregon, vying to be selected to become Miami's sacrificial lamb. The BCS computer spit out number four, Nebraska, as Miami's opponent, despite the Cornhuskers not even competing in their own conference championship. Number three, Colorado won the Big 12 title. Miami pounded Nebraska 37-14 to win the national championship. Also, this was the first season that Florida State didn't win the ACC championship since joining the league in 1991. Number 10. The time the BCS didn't work. I almost want to ask, when did it ever work? The entire point of the bowl championship series, BCS, and some will say if you drop the C, you have exactly what it is, was to eliminate split national championships by using a ranking system to match the two best teams in a bowl game against each other. That system failed in 2003. USC, LSU, and Oklahoma had all lost during the season. Oklahoma lost in the Big 12 title game, which made a tense situation of which two would play in the BCS title game. USC was ranked number one in both AP and coaches poll and seemed to be a lock for one of those spots. But when the BCS rankings came out, which included various computer rankings, USC ranked third behind Oklahoma and LSU. LSU would beat Oklahoma 21-14 in the Sugar Bowl to win the BCS championship. USC would beat number four Michigan 28-14 in the Rose Bowl 
which would all which would set up a controversy the system was supposed to control the voters in the coaches poll were required to vote for the bcs championship game winner number one yet three voters went against protocol and gave their votes to the trojans lsu was named the national champion by the poll the ap poll has no requirement to do anything for the bcs and continue to vote usc as the number one team in the final poll also making them national champions number 11 season of change the biggest change occurred off the field as 18 schools changed conference memberships and shook the stability of college athletics the most notable changes were the creation of a 12-team acc hello boston college and the big east rating conference usa who in turn rated the WAC, who rated the Sun Belt. This would be the catalyst for a larger change less than a decade later that would drastically change the conference landscape. Steve Spurrier was back in college coaching with a new gig at South Carolina. Urban Meyer took over at Spurrier's old gig, Florida. Charlie Weiss began his Notre Dame era. There was an outstanding Heisman race as Reggie Bush and his Bush push against Notre Dame would win the trophy over Vince Young and defending winner and teammate Matt Leinart. Of course, Bush would eventually vacate the award after it was deemed he received improper benefits while at USC. Those three players treated us to arguably the greatest college football championship game of all time as Young's Texas Longhorns beat USC in a back and forth battle in the Rose Bowl. For once, the BCS game wasn't controversial as the best two teams played for the title in the best backdrop possible. We also had Penn State beating Florida State in three overtimes in an Orange Bowl that matched up legendary coaches Joe Paterno and Bobby Bowden. What could be more strange to college football than a season where everything seemingly fell into place, even as the world of college football was changing behind the scenes? Number 12, the curse of number two. Before 2020, 2007 was the gold standard of crazy college football season. For starters, the national champion was LSU, the first time a team that had lost two games during the season won the title. How? Well, there were an extraordinary amount of upsets during the season that created a void of elite teams. For example, the only BCS school to finish with one loss was Kansas. Yes, Kansas. The season started with a bang as FCS school, Appalachian State, went into Ann Arbor and beat number five Michigan in what possibly may be the biggest upset in college football history. That began a trend of 13 times an unranked team beat a top 10 team during the season, crushing the previous record. Notre Dame lost to both Army and Air Force. The curse of the number two became a catchphrase as the second-ranked team would lose seven times in the final nine weeks of the season. Those teams, USC, California, South Florida, Boston College, Oregon, Kansas, and West Virginia. Yep, South Florida, BC, and Kansas were ranked that high three times during the season. The number one and two ranked teams lost on the same day. It happened once in the prior 11 years, and that happened twice in the final two weeks of the season. At one point, Missouri versus Kansas was the biggest game of the season. LSU jumped five spots in the BCS rankings in the final week to miraculously get a spot in the title game. The BCS Bowls looked strange as Illinois played in the Orange in the Rose Bowl Kansas in the Orange Bowl, and Hawaii was in the Sugar Bowl. In all five BCS Bowls, the lower-ranked team upset the higher-ranked team, including LSU, ironically ranked number two, who beat number one, Ohio State, to become the first and only two-loss national champion. Bonus fact, we also got the classic on 40 rant from Oklahoma State head coach Mike Gundy. 
Number 13, scandals rock the sport. The 2011 season was more about what happened off the field. North Carolina coach, North Carolina fired Butch Davis just before the season started due to an improper benefits investigation would eventually unearth widespread academic misconduct that rocked the entire athletic program. Ohio State was rocked by a scandal where players traded items for gifts or favors. Five Buckeyes were suspended, and head coach Jim Trestle resigned. The biggest story, however, was the Penn State Jerry Sandusky child sex abuse scandal that appalled the nation. The AD and president were charged with perjury as part of a cover-up of Sandusky's behavior while the pro while with the program. While head coach Joe Paterno wasn't found to be part of a cover-up, his inaction would ultimately cause the school to fire him on November 9th. He died of lung cancer 74 days later. We also saw the beginning of a conference realignment shakeup that would impact college athletes for years to come. Colorado and Nebraska voted the Big 12 for the Pac-12 and Big 10, respectively. During the season, the Big 12 suffered another blow as Texas A&M and Missouri announced they would be leaving for the SEC. The ACC announced that Syracuse and Pitt would leave the Big East, ultimately crushing that league's football presence. On the field, we had another version of the game of the century between number two, Alabama, and number one, LSU. The Tigers would win that game 9-6, to six, but would fall in the rematch in the BCS championship game, a game that helped lead to an eventual playoff system. Baylor's 50-48 to 48 win over TCU, which launched RG3's highest win season. Number 14, airport firings, conference changes, and a kick six. The 2013 season began with, a wide, with widespread changes as a massive conference realignment began with Syracuse and Pittsburgh joining the ACC and the Big East turning into the American Athletic Conference. The WAC, which had been around for 50 years, discontinued football. After a loss at Arizona State, USC head coach Lane Kiffin was pulled off the team bus outside LEX and into the terminal and fired. Ed Ogeron would take over and lead the Trojans to a 6-2 finish, but Washington State's Steve Sarkeesian accepted the permanent head coaching position, which caused Oregon to resign and Clay Helton take over for USC, which caused Orgeron to resign and Clay Helton take over for USC's appearance in the Las Vegas Bowl. On the field was just as crazy. Georgia Southern went into the swamp and beat Florida. Northern Illinois' Jordan Lynch set the record for rushing yards by a quarterback in the game, twice by piling up 316 yards against Central Michigan and then 321 yards against Western Michigan. And the end of the season happened. Ohio State, who had been dominant the previous year under a postseason ban, went into the Big Ten title game. A win away from a BCS berth. Michigan State stunned the Buckeyes to end their hopes at a national title. And then there was Auburn against Georgia Tech. Tigers completed a fourth and 18 miracle pass for a 73-yard touchdown with 25 seconds left for what would be dubbed the prayer at Jordan Hare. Two weeks later, Auburn will return a missed field goal attempt as time expired for a touchdown in the kick six against Alabama, ending the tie's title hope. Auburn would earn a spot in the BCS championship game against highest-winning freshman Jameis Winston and his Florida State Seminoles. The two played an absolute classic. Florida stormed back from a 21-3 deficit to take a 27-24 lead off a kickoff return for a touchdown. The two teams traded touchdowns in the final minutes, which ended with Winston's two-yard TD pass to Kelvin Benjamin for the win. And finally, the pandemic 2020. 
when all is said and done, the 2020 season may be the strangest of all time. Obviously, the world as well as sports has been impacted by the COVID-19 pandemic. The season began with the Big Ten and Pac-12, among other conferences, postponing their entire seasons, which in turn created a fierce outrage from those schools, players, and parents. Both those leagues would eventually start back in the middle of the season with extremely light schedules. Notre Dame joined the ACC for a one-year run. Most league game, most leagues played conference-only schedules. Games were being postponed or outright canceled, so were bowls. The season was played with fluidity unseen in the sport for generations while stadiums held limited or no fans. So, there you have it, 15 of the strangest seasons on record. Hope you have enjoyed this podcast. This is your conductor, Anthony Smith. Hope you enjoyed it as much as I enjoyed bringing this information to you. Uh, as you listen to it, uh, click on the link for sure. Uh, leave some comments. Leave a message. I would love to hear your feedback. Also, I want you to check out some businesses. You can check them out on the web uh com, the resistance bands that everybody are talking about also www.hoodfessionalsincorporated.com hoodfessionalsincorporated.com and soon to be joining me as an advertiser of this podcast, a sponsor of this podcast, my good friend Natalie Greenlee at THC, which is the Health Connection, which is a store locally right here in Wichita, Kansas. And I will get more information on that. But go by and see her. Tell her Anthony sent you. She has three locations, one on Rock Road, one on Douglas, and one in Rose Hill. It's called The Health Connection. Uh, looking forward to having her as a sponsor for this show. And you will be getting more information. You will be hearing her voice as I will be interviewing her and also coming up i will be doing some more interviews with people locally and maybe some nationally so stay tuned to the a train sports talk podcast because this train is building up ahead of steam and picking up passengers along the way so until the next time you take care of yourself and each other i will be glad to come back with you with some more information